Thank you very much this morning. I want to talk to us about, uh, through Christian history, we have the, always had a gathering for Christian worship. Always have that. But there's a history that goes behind that. So this morning, I want to give you just a brief history about worship and how it got going. And I uh, don't mean to bore you, but it helps you understand where we are today. So we will have to begin with the Jewish synagogues. The Jewish synagogues, the Christian church learned its worship from the Jewish tradition. And in the Jewish tradition, there are certain things that they always did. Now, when John and I were in Jerusalem, right across the street from the hotel was this synagogue. And on Friday, we were there on Friday evening, and I said, let's go over to the synagogue. And so we went over to the synagogue and sat there with us. The women had to sit upstairs. The men sat downstairs. They didn't sit together. But the boys and the young and the men all sat down on, and we had our sundown worship in that synagogue. And it was all in Hebrew. So John didn't translate enough for me, so I didn't know enough. But it followed a certain pattern. And in that pattern, first they sang songs of praise to God without instruments. There was no instruments of any kind. They just vocal. And it was beautiful harmony as they sang. Then they read the scripture they, from the Old Testament. They did that. Then they had a sermon and a message, and that was in Hebrew as well as we sat there. And then as the sun was setting, they got up and they danced the men got up and they danced around in joy that the Sabbath had come. They were so excited that the Sabbath had come. I had never seen that. Seen them dancing for the joy that the Sabbath had come. Now, when I was a kid, I was going, oh, is it Sabbath? I'm going to be over. But they were going and dancing that the Sabbath, the rest that God had given them, had come. Can you imagine that? It was, it was amazing for us to see that. But everything changed. Everything changed. And so when the book of Acts came along, when the book of Acts along came along, and the early believers, we had an experience that they were at Pentecost. Remember, they were gathered in the upper room. They were reading the scriptures. They were going back and forth to the temple. They were gathered together, reading the scriptures, and they were praying together. And so they began a worship experience in these small little groups together. And in those groups, we had songs of praise to God, and most of them were what they'd carried over from the Jewish tradition. They had the reading of Scripture. They talked a lot about Jesus. And then they had the Lord's Supper together, or an agape meal. And the reason they had that supper together, they often did, was to also help people out. They had fellowship dinners to help people out. And then they planned how to help each other, and then how are we going to work and help each other in need. That was kind of the experience of the early church for a couple hundred years, but then everything changed again. It seems that when a cultural change happened, so did the worship experience change. And so a change happened when we came along to the church in the Middle Ages, which is around 600 to around 1400s, roughly in that time. And what happened was the service became church, became Christianity became more formalized. And they built these huge cathedrals, these huge places like the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris. And that huge building was built for the worship experience. 
But what happened was it was the elevation of the mass, the elevation of when the priest would hold up the cup and he would say, this is my body, and people would participate in the communion. They felt there was something magical and happening, something spiritual happened inside you. If you would just take and eat the bread, you would get a spiritual benefit from eating that uh, part of Christ to get. And what happened was that the that the altar was moved to the center. There was an altar built where the communion took place and the uh, crucifixion of Christ was portrayed. Christ upon the cross. He died, and that's what we're remembering. And so what they had, they sang chants of praise to God, again, without any musical instruments. They were, and if you heard some of the Gregorian chants, they were rather fascinating. They had the reading of Scripture. They emphasized the mass. The most important thing was the moment that he lifted up and created Christ in the cup. And so that moment of the mass, that moment that it happened, there was nothing else important that happened. All the rest was just time fillers because they preached the word, but very little, very little. But then everything changed. And when the Protestant Reformation came along in, seven, in 1517, happened and martin luther came along they brought things and they elevated the word of god in worship the word of god became more important because it had been lost and they started to teach preaching turned to be the center preaching was extremely important and so what in protestants they had to teach the people because they were translating the books as best they can the bible but they stood and they preached. And there were no seats in those churches. You had to stand. And the sermon usually lasts an hour and a half to two hours. And the people would stand there just stunned because they were hearing the word of God for the first time. They were learning what the scriptures were about for the very first time. And the pulpit then moved to the center. Can you tell? That follows that tradition, see? The Christian tradition, the uplifting, the pulpit, the uplifting of the word of God, the preaching of the word of God in the tr Christian tradition. So they sang the praises to God and the reading of scripture, but it was the preaching of the word. Now it was important because they brought in that evil instrument into the church, the organ which was brought from the theater, and they brought it into the church, and they played their hymns on the organ. Can you imagine how, how terrible that would be? But that was what they did, and oh, that was terrible that they would bring an instrument of the devil like that into the church. But they did, and that's what happened. And Martin Luther then brought a beer song from the beer hall, changed the words, and sang, A mighty fortress is our God. That's where that song came from. It came from the beer hall. So he brought and changed that so that people would have something to sing with gusto. Isn't it interesting sometimes, our history of how things happened? So what they basically had was preliminaries. They had that stuff a little bit. But it was the sermon that was so important and they didn't go. Well, when I got to Andrews University as a student, I came uh, to the seminary, and this is Andrews, this Pioneer Memorial Church at Andrews. That's a huge building, if you've been in there, when they come to worship uh, before God. And they had there an order of service, we called. We all have an order of service. If you look at our bulletin, you will see there's an order of service there. And that order of service used to be called, we don't say that because, oh, it's from, it used to be called the liturgy. 
it was a liturgy, just simply means the order in which things happen in your church. So I began to notice about the worship service that was Andrews University and practiced throughout all of Adventism, including where I was pastoring, where I had been. And that is the worship service was about 60 minutes in length. So it would start at 11 o'clock. We would stand up and sing our praise, hymn of praise. It would go for an hour, and it's supposed to get out at noon, or people start looking at their watches going, what, you know, the pastor, what are you doing? You know, you're going too long here. We have to get home and get out of here by noon. It was only supposed to be one hour. Some of you remember that. So I began to look and see, how does this go? How does this work? Well, first of all, we would have three to four minutes of a praise hymn, we would sing. If it was a long hymn, it would be four minutes, but usually it was three minutes, three and a half minutes of praise singing together in the 60-minute worship service. And we would sing this hymn together. We would stand and sing this great hymn. Andrews with that big organ and so forth would have that great hymn. And then after that deal, we would have two to three minutes if I counted all the prayers, and we, we were told we were supposed to have our pastoral prayer was last a minute to a minute and a half, no longer. In fact, I talked to a pastor one time, he timed the people who were having prayer, and if they went too long, they never prayed there again. So, so he made sure that they, things were cut down. So we would have two to three minutes of praise him, we'd have two to three minutes, excuse me, three to four minutes of singing, two to three minutes of prayers, all of them put together. And then we would have 55, 52 minutes uh, more, 54 minutes of receiving information. The sermon, we'd add that all together. We would listen. We would have six minutes for God and 54 minutes for us. Well, we could say, no, wait a minute. Listening to the sermon is part of worship. But in the reality, in the Protestant tradition, it was more for teaching. It was more for teaching. So as what happened was, as a church changed, and as things went by, the church used to be a circle of believers. They sat in a circle like we do for Sabbath school class. But what happened was, we started sitting behind each other in rows, like they did at the theater. And what happened is, we became spectators in worship. We came to see, we came to see, and we came to watch, and to listen. And we'd listen, we would stand and we'd sing, they'd do the prayer up there, we'd see what's going on, and then led people in the modern day age to say, well, did I get anything out of this? And then the question today is, well, why go if I didn't get anything out of it? You know, I didn't get anything out of it, I didn't blah, 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 blah. And many have decided not to go. And besides today, you can get it online at any time, and you can put pastor bill on pause while you go do something else and you can come back and start him up later and not even miss a word if you want it can all work out just really easy and then the 1990s came and everything changed again everything changed again we had a cultural revolution going on in the 1990s. Started in the 70s, but started a cultural revolution going on. We had difference in teaching and difference in emphasis of truth and difference in values and difference in individuality and and uh, difference in worldviews, and it affected everything. And the Christian Church was affected by it. 
Christian Way Church was affected as it made its transition. And what happened was that there was a rediscovery of the worship in the Bible. Rediscovery of what the worship was in the Bible. Don't you love that picture? Rediscovery of that. Would you open your Bibles then with me to Revelation chapter 4? I would like to just give you a short example out of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4. If you're not familiar with this setting of chapter 4, this is a picture of when God is being, when John is being shown the very throne room of God. We've had the introduction chapter in chapter 1 of Jesus. Then we have chapters 2 and 3 dealing with the seven churches. In chapter 4, he's drawn up and looks at the very throne room of God. Let's begin with verse 1, if you would. We'll pick up the thought. And after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And a voice I heard, John is writing, and a voice I uh, had first heard speaking to me was like a trumpet said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit, and there was before me a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat on it, the one who sat there, had the appearance of jasper and ruby and a rainbow that had shone oh, like an emerald encircling the throne. This is describing Christ, showing Jesus sitting on the throne. Surrounding the throne were four other thrones, 24 of the thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And if you had taken the class of Revelation with me, you would know we were talking about those uh, people, representing those people. Crowns are a symbol of victory. And white is a symbol of Christ's righteousness. It covers us of our sins. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God, or the spirit of God going. And also in front of the throne, there was a look like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first of the living creatures was like a lion, and the second like an ox, the third like a man, and the fourth like an eagle. And if you had taken the class of Revelation, you know that was very symbol, similar uh, symbolism that was used in Israel. Mark the four directions around. Lion, ox, man, and eagle. Those three. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and covered with eyes all around and under their wings day and night. They never stopped saying. They never stopped saying. Get that. Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, worship him who lives for, um, forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before him saying, who you are worthy. O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And the question we might ask is, why were they worshiping? Now this is important. Why were living creatures, and why were the 24 elders gathered around the throne there, why were they worshiping? They tell you right there why they were worshiping. 
This is important to understand because this is what separates the worship of God from the separating of worship of idols. It is important to understand why they were worshiping. And the reason they were worshiping is because the Lord is worthy because of the actions he has done. It's because he came to the cross and died and saved. It's because he was the creator of the world. It's because he laid down his life to provide salvation for us. It's because he will take care of this. And so the reason that they were worshiping was because of the great acts of God that no one else could ever do. No other God could do. And that's why they were worshiping. It wasn't just some blind thing that they were crying to the sun because the sun came up or to the moon. It was because of the actions of God that sponsored them, that got them, that got them to raise and say, worthy are you because of what you have done. That brings us to the heart of worship about praising God because of the actions he has done for you and in the whole world and in creating him. It brings us marvelous thoughts to them. And the book of Revelation is absolutely full of expressions of worship. Oh, you can see that all through. Psalms, other places, when they would worship, these in continuing praising and worship of God before them. So we might ask, well, well, why don't we worship like that? Why don't we worship like that? Well, a little bit of quick history for me. My first Sabbath here. I wasn't here as a pastor. I came here to retire. And I came, and I'll never forget, it was Thanksgiving Sabbath, and the pastor was not here. He was gone, and so we didn't have a sermon that day. We were filled with singing of praises. I remember sitting one seat ahead of where Jim is seated right there, seated right there. I was sit sitting on the second row, and I was by myself, and I was sitting there where nobody knew who I was, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm now engaged in worship. And the worship experience that this church was having was amazing to me because we spent that time praising God, worshiping before him. I was stunned because I didn't know we would ever do that. <laughs> We'd have a whole hour of worship. It was amazing to me that I sat here. And so I got into that worship experience, and afterward, I went out excited and refreshed because I had had that opportunity to worship God. Now, here's some principles you need to remember. The worship team, whoever it is, and we had a great worship team leaders up here, they are not performing for you. This is not their performance. They may be up here leading, they may be up here helping you, but they're not here to perform for God. You are the performer. You are the performer. You see, spectators don't worship. Spectators don't worship. They sit and watch others. It's the performer. If you're going to worship, now you're into the performance of worship. So when I was sitting back there in the chair just in front of Jim, when I was sitting there, I was into the worship. This is my worship time. It was, it was my worship experience. So it doesn't matter to me 
the worship service type of thing. If I'm coming in to worship God, I'm going to take that opportunity to worship my God. This is between me and him, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to sing. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be active in my worship before him. And it doesn't matter what else is going on in this worship service because I'm not here to critique anybody. I'm not here to watch to somebody. I'm not here to do that. It doesn't matter if someone sings and they're flat. It doesn't matter what they're wearing. It doesn't matter where their hair is. It doesn't matter if they stumble with their words it doesn't matter because that's not the performance i'm the performer and so i was sitting there i am worshiping god with my heart and therefore no one can rob me of that experience so the question isn't uh did i get something out of it did i get something out of the worship service really the question we need to ask is how did i do how did I do in my worship experience when we leave? Because clearly, God is the, God is the audience. Worshiping before him, having that. So I had to ask myself, what does one, how does one, when does one stop worshiping? When does one stop worshiping? I don't know about you. I can always speak to my heart. But when my focus goes to people, start focusing on people and what they are doing and not on God. And not on God. Then I stop worshiping. When I start focusing on what's going on up here and you know, whether I like it or not, is it done right? Oh, they're dear, 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 dear then I become a spectator and a critic and not a worshiper. If you are having a, a weak worship experience, then perhaps it's not what's happening in the worship service, but what you're focused on. What you are focused on. If you're looking to be entertained here, then probably you're going to have many disappointments. Because we're not TV. We're not a show. We don't get together and practice to make every move perfect like they do on television. We don't cut and recut. And if that is happening to you, if you, if you get focused on that and you're disappointed, then, then you're missing the best of the worship experience because it isn't about that. It's about you worshiping, about you giving up, giving your heart before him. This is Jim. I don't know, I had a picture of him. Do you see him here with his raised hands? We baptized him a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. Here's Jimbo. He's raising his hands in worship before God. Now, some of us have personalities that that's how we express. And we, we welcome that. Some of the rest of us, no, we, we don't express our worship that way because it's not. I, I grew up in a tradition where I didn't do that, I didn't do all that, but I raise my heart and my thoughts to him. And, um, and when we're singing, and so when I, when I leave here, I can, I can say to anybody who's there, say, wow, we had a wonderful worship experience today. And some people go, what? The reason it was wonderful is because I worshipped. See, 
I worship my God. So my hour and a half, hour and whatever it takes in here today, is my offering before God, my worship experience before him. And so as I think about that and as I reflect on that, then the call is for us, let us worship and praise our God for the great things he has done. The great things he has done. And that's why I come and worship, Lord, because you saved me, because you've, you've brought me to this, because you helped me understand, because you love me, Lord. It's the actions that you did. And your care about me, I worship before you. You're my great God. So if you not have that, get into it. You're missing. If you're missing it, and I'm well, I don't know, get into it. Let yourself your heart go and open towards God, you will find that you'll never go out of here disappointed because you are the performer worshiping a great and wonderful God. I thank you, Lord, for this illustration that you gave us here in the book of Revelation. It's powerful to see the times and, the, and they sang and worshiped before you day after day. It was endless in their praise. Why? Because of your actions, what you had done. Worthy, you were worthy because what you have done. This morning, this morning we gather in your name. May we be truly worshipers before you. May we learn that in Jesus' name. Amen.